Welcome to the Expanded By Podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea. I'm a business mentor, brain rewiring certified coach, and soon to be 7D, a high energy healer. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things business growth, spirituality, brain rewiring, mindset, energetics, and so much more. You can connect further with me on Instagram at Expand with Chelsea and on YouTube at Expand with Chelsea. I am so excited that you're here. I hope you leave today feeling expanded by what we talk about. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I have such a special guest for you today. I cannot wait to share her. We had such an incredible conversation and we recorded this about a week and a half ago and I am still so activated, so on fire, and so inspired by what we talked about. So I know you're absolutely going to love today's guest. Before we dive into the interview, I want to give you some updates on things that are happening around here. I've got two big updates. The first is that Scale is now open to the public for enrollment. I am so excited about this program. This is, and it's a little meta, you know, stick with me, but it is a group program to teach business owners how to create, launch, and sell out their next group program. Um, I was kind of laughing as I was creating this program because I realized how necessary it is to teach business owners a repeatable formula so that they can continue to grow and scale their businesses using group programs. I know I've heard from a lot of business owners that they want to run a group program, but it feels really intimidating. They have no idea how they're going to get everybody in the group amazing results. They're really worried that nobody's going to sign up for their program. And this program scale takes care of all of that. I'm going to be with you every single step of the process from creating your curriculum. So really going deep and diving into what all is your group program going to include. A lot of business owners might have a general idea of what it is that they want to teach, but they are they're just not exactly sure how it all comes together. That's precisely what we're going to be doing during our time together in this program. Then we move on into the launch phase, which let's be honest, this is my favorite phase of the entire process where we're going to define and get really, really clear on your offer, be able to clearly communicate this with your audience so that they know exactly what it is that you are offering and they're going to know beyond a doubt if they are right for that offer or not. I'm also going to walk you through different tactics and strategies to utilize during your launch to help ensure that you sell out all of your spots. We're going to be going over everything from what content to post on platforms like Instagram, getting booked on podcasts, to the art of the personal invite, aka inviting your dreamboat clients in to work with you. I promise you it is actually very easy and it gets to feel very, very genuine. I'll teach you my exact way that I do this and have invited tons of clients in to work with me. This always surprises people, um, especially people inside of my group programs and my business clients. They're like, wait, you've invited people into your programs? Everybody didn't just come to you? And I was like, of course. If I have a client that I know would be a perfect fit for a program that I'm creating, I mean, honestly, most of the time I am creating programs for my clients. The logical next step, maybe it's something that we didn't go over together during our time working together. And if I think somebody's a perfect fit, of course I'm gonna invite them in to work with me. Of course I am. 
So we're gonna be going over all of that and then we're gonna move on to phase number three, which is selling out your program. This includes everything from onboarding your new clients, the contracts that you need to have in place, how you're going to run your program, how to be a leader and how to make sure and ensure that you are creating a safe space inside of your group. I know a lot of people think that that might sound really easy, but especially if you are working with clients and you're doing any type of mindset work, you're doing any type of healing work, emotions are going to come up and making sure that you have the proper tools to make sure that everybody feels supported when they're working with you is really, really important. And that's how you're going to get your clients the biggest transformation. So if you are curious about this program, enrollment is open for a little bit longer. I wouldn't wait too long though. Spots are already filling up. This is going to be such a fantastic group and the capacity is capped at eight participants. So once the spots fill up, that's it. And to be <laughs> really honest, I'm not sure if I'm going to be bringing this back in a live format again. So if you are interested in this, I would hop on this opportunity sooner rather than later. So during our 10 weeks together, you'll receive eight educational modules that you have lifetime access to. So you can come back to access the material at any time. I will be teaching you a repeatable, scalable formula that is going to be customized to you that you can use to continue to run, launch and sell out your group programs time and time and time again to continue to grow and scale your business. We're going to have live coaching, live Q&A and live hot seat every single week of this program. So you'll have tons of access to me 24-7 support during this because I know firsthand how emotionally intense the launch process can be. So if you are somebody that is wanting to launch a group program very soon, I would absolutely utilize this for tons of support during your launch. If you want to learn more about scale, I will put the link to the info page and the application in the show notes. And if you have any questions on whether or not this program might be right for you or not, this is for business owners that have both never run a group program before. Maybe you've run one before and it didn't quite go as well as you wanted it to. So you're hoping to make your next launch even bigger, better, and badder. This is for you. So if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. You can send me a DM on Instagram or an email, hello at expandwithchelsea.com. All right, so my second update is you just have two days left to enter the mega bundle, $400, my favorite products right now giveaway. So all you've got to do, it's super, super easy. All you've got to do, if you already love and listen to the show and you haven't left a review yet, this is just, I'm sweetening the pot, sweetening the deal for you. So all you have to do is go leave a review on iTunes. Just write a couple of quick, short sentences, what you love about the show, what you look forward to every week, any guests that you've really loved, any topics you really enjoy. And that's all you've got to do. You're entered. The giveaway ends on the 18th Friday. So that is tomorrow if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out. So I would go do that ASAP. I'm also going to be giving away a special prize of um, we'll call it like a little goodie bag, a goodie bag to every single person that leaves a review. If you have left a review prior to 2022, be sure to go back in and update your review to be entered. And again, if you leave a review, you're going to get something. You're going to win something, even if it's not the mega $400 prize bundle. So I would absolutely go leave your review and I'm really pumped to see who wins this bundle. It is epic. As a reminder, you will win products from Organifi, ClearStem, Ned, 
Four Sigmatic, some of my absolute all-time favorite books right now, and a beautiful Oracle card deck, just to name a few. So really pumped about this giveaway. Just head on over to iTunes and leave your review and boom, you're entered. Alrighty, let's talk about today's guest. On the show today, I have Dr. Robin McKay. She is a global expert on career acceleration for spiritual entrepreneurs, transformational coaches, and solo practitioners who are ready to harness their spiritual intelligence and attract corporate clients. We spent a ton of our time today talking all about her different archetypes that she sees in her clients. We talked a lot about leadership and the importance of it, her background as a psychologist, why women might be struggling to hold on to money. We talked, oh my God, it was it was absolutely fascinating. In the episode, Robin goes into burnout, how to both prevent and recover once you're there. We talked about how to tap into your emotional intelligence and how we can actually start to connect and combine science and spirituality. They're not separate and you'll see why in this episode. So without further ado, I am so, so excited to introduce Dr. Robin McKay to you. I know you're absolutely going to love her. Enjoy. Alrighty, I am really excited to talk to you. I think we are going to have an excellent conversation. I was just telling uh, Robin before we hopped on, I just took her leadership style quiz and she asked me what type I got. I got the competitive leader. We're going to dive into what all of that means, but before we get too much further, Dr. Robin, would you go ahead and give us a little bit of your background? Oh, I'm happy to. I'm so happy to be here with you. This is so fun. I know we started right away, even before we started recording, and it just has this energy of fun and engaging experience we're going to have together today. I am Dr. Robin McKay. I have a PhD in counseling psychology that I got from the University of Kansas. And oh my goodness, 13 years ago, I think I finished all of that work. And I spent a lot of my career just learning about how creative, how intuitive, how smart people make decisions about their careers. And I looked at leadership and I looked at spiritual intelligence and I looked at all of these concepts that come out of the field of positive psychology. And where I have arrived in the last few years in doing all of this work is that there's something around who you become in the process. You, ref- you just said that you are a competitive leader based on my leadership quiz, which is so awesome to know it's a great way for us to get started. And um, you set goals and you have these, these big visions for yourself, but I really believe it's who you become in the process. It's, your, it's how you actualize in the process of meeting those goals. It's so important, especially right now with everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, there's there's a lot happening. And I feel like the results from the quiz really they I could not have gotten a better result based off of just what I know about myself because for so long I felt like I was just chasing, you know, for example, a certain amount of revenue or income inside my business and I hit it and I was like, I uh, still don't feel good. <laughs> like it's it didn't solve whatever problem I thought it was going to solve and then I had to shift my entire focus completely. So, can you give us a little bit more of an overview on the different types of leadership styles that there are? Sure thing. You know, that leadership quiz that uh, I have on my website 
anybody can take that. That's actually a snapshot of a larger personality assessment that I give to anybody who comes in and works with me privately. I really believe that for bright, talented, creative people, the most important thing that we can do when we're at any point in our in our leadership experience is to know ourselves as best as we can. And this personality assessment that I give is one of the best ways that I know to be able to help people under, understand themselves because it compares you to everybody else who's ever taken the assessment on the planet. So it's it's standardized and norm-based just like when you took the ACT or the SAT or the MCAT or any of the standardized uh, assessments that you take in uh, your educational tracks. So that's very big picture. The micro level is this quiz where I pulled out some really significant questions that get at what's your leadership style. And there are four major styles that I look at. There's the competitive leader that we've, that you've talked about. We have a visionary leader and that's somebody who can see around corners, has a capacity to see what's possible for themselves, for other people now and in the future. When they carry the vision, that's what really drives them forward on their career paths and on the work that they're doing in the world. Then we have the quiet leader and the quiet leader is much more introverted, I would say, but the quiet leader is somebody who, boy, when they have something to say, you better listen because there's a lot of wisdom in that deep well. And then the last one is the collaborative leader. And the collaborative leader is probably, what I love to say about the collaborative leader is that it's really hard to be a leader and a really nice person at the same time. And I find that a lot of our collaborative leaders who work with me have that struggle of being so agreeable and wanting to be helpful and wanting to be the cheerleaders and having that become very natural for them. But sometimes there's a challenge with taking on too much, saying yes to too many opportunities, and then feeling bad, feeling guilty when something drops off their plate. So those are the four major types. And um, there's a whole bunch of information that goes with each of those types. But I think that's enough to get us started on on what we're going to talk about today. Oh, yeah, that's a really good. Thank you for giving us that background and overview. One of the reasons that I wanted to bring that up and why I think it's so relevant is because I work with a lot of business owners. And I think where my clients are at, they maybe don't see themselves as leaders. They maybe just see themselves as like doing their own thing. And like, yes, maybe they work with a couple of clients, but from the work that you do, you know, what is the importance of actually stepping into this leadership role? Such a great question. And it's such a great point too. In fact, I just had a conversation with somebody the other day. I find this, especially in the spiritual entrepreneur community, the, I call them affectionately us, the healy feelies in the world, because we get trained and we get so absorbed in the work that we're doing with our clients, the one-on-one work, the healing work, the deep work that we do, we often forget that even in doing that work, we are leading. And so if you have any kind of misapplied or misidentified understanding of what it means to be a leader or what kind of leader you are, or even if you are a leader, that can really create some dissonance between you and your business you and the the impact and the influence that you want to have on the world as well. So when I think about leadership now, especially, my goodness, even if you're not leading 
a team, even if you're not leading big groups of people, because that's often who we think of as leaders, you're still leading yourself. One of the great challenges that a lot of times happens is that we abdicate our responsibility to other people. We look to other people outside of ourselves for a direction. Just tell me what to do, we say. And I don't know if this happened for you, probably a version of this did, but early on in the pandemic, when everything else, when everything was closing down and no one knew what was going on, and I had even very accomplished leaders coming to me and saying, Robin, what do we do? I just want somebody to tell me what to do. And I just very frankly, my clients call me the velvet hammer. So I say <laughs> things, I'm very, very straightforward, but I just said, look at no one's coming. You're it. You're it. You get to decide how you're going to roll with this. You get to decide how you're going to lead through this. And I think that was very liberating for some of them. But for all of us, it's very, um, it can be very scary to take responsibility for yourself, for your decisions in that way. And yet that's the very action that I believe that we need to take more and more in order to create this new world that we're moving into, rather than being at the whim of somebody else's creations. Yes, definitely. I absolutely love that being self-led. Like, yes, we can have coaches and mentors that, you know, might suggest things or give us different ideas, but ultimately it has to be us to to take the action and move forward. So, with you, what are some of the reasons that you see where people aren't taking responsibility? Maybe they're unwilling or maybe they're just afraid to. What is that what does that typically come down to if somebody's unwilling to lead themselves? Well, I have a story I want to share with you. This is so cute because we're so cute as humans. We really are. Even the leaders I have, there's somebody who's at a pretty high level who I work with in the in tech. She's at a very well-known organization. And she texted me because my clients, my private clients have access to me via text message Monday through Friday, but she texted me at like 7 p.m. on a Sunday night recently. And I glanced down at my phone and I was like, oh, what she got to say today. And she said, can you give me permission to watch Netflix rather than work tonight? And I will raise my hand and say, yes, I did respond to her because it was so important in that moment to intervene. I said, no, I can't give you permission. I'm not the boss of you. And then I followed up and I said, listen, this is a great topic of conversation for your next call because we have to get at the root of what that is. Why are, I didn't do all of this in text, but the point is, why do we so effortlessly just yield our power to somebody else outside of ourselves? That's the big question. So to your question is like, why do we do this? What's going on there? If you think about it, oh my goodness, from the time we're little kids, we get trained into how to react. We get trained into who to look to as our sources of authority, right? It's our parents, it's our teachers. And certainly we require people around us for guidance, to your point, with coaches as adults and advisors as adults. But from the time we're little kids, we've been, I'm going to use this word and I'm not sure if it's exactly right, but I think it's the best word to describe it, is we've been programmed into how to be in this world. And that is, I have to look to somebody outside of myself to get the answers and to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And if I don't, I might get into trouble. Now, there are some people on the planet who really don't care if they get into trouble or not, but there are a lot of people who do care. 
if they're going to get into trouble, if they're going to step on toes, if they're going to rock the boat. Because again, we get socialized from the time we're pretty young into being, especially for women, I think this is this is particularly a challenge. We get socialized into being the nice one, being helpful, being agreeable, going back to don't rock the boat. So all of those externals contribute, but then we also have individual differences with that as well. And so remember I said the, the uh, collaborative leader on the leadership quiz has a, has some challenges with this saying, saying yes to too many projects, not being able to say no very easily. And I think, I think that when you're in a place where you can't say no, or it feels really uncomfortable to say no because of who you'll disappoint or because of whose expectations you're going to somehow disrupt, that it becomes second nature, second nature to put our desires, our heart's desires on the back burner and just over, over focus on other people's priorities, expectations, and needs rather than our own. Mm-hmm. So I know you gave the the story of your client, you know, asking for permission if you can <laughs> watch, if she could watch Netflix, but what are some other, you know, common instances that come up that you see is an opportunity for, you know, your clients or just business owners in general to start leaning into trusting themselves more and start being able to lead themselves? Well, one of the first things we have to do is clear out any misapplied or misidentified understandings or uses of leadership. Because le- that word leadership has a lot of charge to it for some people. So we really need to just make the unconscious conscious about that so we can make some different decisions, first of all. Secondly, I think that we need to make a leap from there's one triad that's pretty rampant on this planet right now. It's the victim persecutor rescuer triad. And we have, we all get embedded in that. We just, that's kind of the life we live in. I'm either a victim and there really are truly victims on this planet. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about in any kind of situation with business where you feel like um, you have been, and in some cases you have been victimized. Again, I'm not saying that. I just want to, I'm playing with some words here. But there, there are cases where you can feel like you're affronted by somebody's comment on your social media. You're affronted by something and something happened to you. So that's so in that victim persecutor rescuer triad, what we're looking at is toggling among these three pretty toxic personas, if you will. So when we make the leap out of that, first of all, we have to just become aware that that's the triad that we're living and working in. When we make the leap out of that, we can leap into this new timeline, which has a different triad. And that triad, I think you'll love a lot. That is the the creator, coach, and challenger triad. And when I look at you or I look at my clients as the creator of their experiences, the co-creator actually with the universe, and I am the coach, then I have a very different role in that relationship than if I'm over in the old victim persecutor rescuer triad where I'm either trying to rescue a client from, from her, you know, wanting to work versus watch Netflix on a Sunday night, or I'm navigating that dynamic between a bully and a victim, and I'm being the hero there. So there's there, there's that mindset 
parts at an energetic shift, I think that needs to happen in order for us to really start living into leading ourselves and thereby also leading our vision, leading our mission, leading our purpose and influencing other people in the way that allows them to do the same. I have a teacher who says, learn how to be the lighthouse rather than a life raft. And I think that's so relevant in where we are right now in the world. Oh, I love that. I just want to say thank you for for bringing these triads to my attention. I actually, I've never heard of that before. And that is so much more, you know, to kind of like evolve and move past and start to take responsibility and start to see yourself as this creator. Like that's so much more empowering than, you know, coming into the victim cycle and then kind of cycling back out of it and finding somebody to, you know, put all of your eggs in one basket with or whatever, and just kind of repeating that cycle over and over and over again. You can see it once you, and I, sorry, hashtag, sorry, not sorry, but you can't, (laughs) you can't unknow that. No. (laughs) So now any relationship, any dynamic you have, whether it's with a driver in the lane next to you, when you're on the road this afternoon or the red light, sometimes those red lights can feel a whole lot like bullies. Why is this happening to me? Or if you really want to get sophisticated, then you blame like the city of, I live in Scottsdale. So the city of Scottsdale gets blamed a lot for the light situation. And that puts me in the role, not anymore, but in the role of victim, it could, or I could be like, how is that a challenge to me? How is that red light a challenge to me? What can I create as a result of being here at this red light? And when you get real curious about just your responses to those external circumstances that poke you or that kind of get trigger you a little bit, you can actually shift into leadership for yourself. You lead yourself through that process by asking those different questions rather than why is this happening to me? How about ask, how is this happening for me? Totally. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's such a different, you know, it's a little bit for me anyway, more tangible than just, you know, in the moment when you're, when you're triggered or you're upset or frustrated to just be like, Oh, why is this happening for me? You know, sometimes I think that that's a little bit difficult for people, at least at the start, but then starting to see it through this lens of, you know what, where am I in this triad right now? And how can I actually start to shift and change that? So I want to talk a little bit more about the leadership styles and each of their individual, you know, we'll call it like strengths and weaknesses for the purpose of this, but maybe more appropriate would be strengths and challenges. I know that when I read my results, I was like, oh yeah, I'm literally living that right now. Like I'm trying to, you know, I have these big goals and everything and, you know, I am very narrow-minded when it comes to reaching them, pretty much whatever goal I say I'm going to accomplish, it ends up, you know, I take it off the list and then I'm like, all right, what's next? And I've found lately, I'm like, oh, okay, there's actually like more to life. There's a lot of these other things. So can you share a little bit more about each of those different types and, you know, maybe any tips that you have? I'll definitely link that quiz in the show notes so people can take that as well. Yeah, for sure. So what was the, did you have something that kind of punched you in the heart? when you were reading through your results, first of all, let's start with competitive leader. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I hit, I hit one of my revenue goals. Um, my business was very successful early on. I made 
six figures within a year of starting my business. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm on to congratulations. I'm on to Thank you. I was like, I'm on to something good. Um, before that, I was actually living on food stamps. I was really struggling. So, you know, to kind of have that big dramatic shift and change. And then, you know, I, I doubled my revenue the next year. And I actually, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I like physically feel any different. Am I happier? I don't know. Like maybe I actually need to start, you know, creating more time and space for myself because this financial goal that I have, that's, you know, I can tell that it's not going to fix anything. It's not actually, you know, there, there's something deeper going on here. Yeah. You know, thanks for sharing that part of your story, because I think that that's so important to understand even what leadership style comes forward for you at this moment. It could be in a year when you take it again, that you have a different style that, that is more forward for you than it wasn't, was this time, you know, at this time in, in your life. So when you think about being a goal slayer, it makes sense. If you have a drive inside of you, if you're, when you were on food stamps, there was some welling up probably within you that was like, this is not the reality that I want to be living in. There was some kind of inner, I don't, that energy of fire was probably really relevant for you at the time. And as a go-getter, as somebody who is a high achiever, it's very natural to lean into that fire to be able to get the results that you want so that you can move from survival into thriving, for example. Mm -hmm. So I, one of my teachers, when she, a lot of us are high achievers. Listen, if you're in entrepreneurship, chances are you're a high achiever. And I remember learning from this person early on when I started my trans, my spiritual transformation, when I turned 29, I think is kind of when all of my awakening started, which was years and years ago. Um, but I remember she said to me, when you're a high achiever, you savor the, you, you love the hunt but you fail to savor the kill. And I know that sounds really graphic, but you get the no, point. Like you don't, so accurate. <laughs> you, you don't savor the win. You just are like, okay, on to the next. And, you know, from a psychological perspective, what I find happens is that when you're constantly pursuing the next and the next and the next, it is often guarding against those deeper seated emotional experiences and even trauma that you had to set aside in order to accomplish what you did. And there comes a point, I think, in every entrepreneur's life when you reach a level of success in your business, when things are going well, when you know you've got plenty of money in the bank and you can, you don't have to that hustle and grind is just has limiting returns at some point, but you can look around your life and you start feeling really comfortable and it feel that comfort feels unfamiliar and even uncomfortable because you're so used to having the wolves at your heels. You're so used to having to run on adrenaline to make sure that things are taken care of so that you can have all of your bills paid. And certainly I, I remember those experiences early on in my in my own entrepreneurial journey, when I left the salaried position at the university and made the leap into entrepreneurship, the first, I think I made my first six figures in six months. And then I burned out and I couldn't sell ice cream to anybody, even, you know, all the kids in the neighborhood who loved ice cream and aren't lactose intolerant. I couldn't sell <laughs> it to them. I just like, like it was, 
It was a rough go. So when you reach that point of, as a competitive leader, when you reach that point of success and you go, oof, this isn't as fulfilling as I thought it might be, then it's time to turn inward and to do the inner work because now your your life is supported enough that you can sit in that and you don't have to spend a whole lot of time there. But I think it is worth looking at what's going on beneath the surface that I've been masking, that I've been ignoring, that I have set aside because just frankly, I had to. That's, so that's, that's does so that many make things sense? just came up for me. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, I know what it is <laughs> like, <Yeah>. immediately. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's just getting approval. I think from people just knowing, you know, that like, Hey, I'm making the quote right choices and you know, I'm not, I'm not a failure in other people's eyes. Right. You're proving. So we, we run on that proving energy. Yep. Oh my goodness. Like that, that goes all the way back to childhood. Too. I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove that I can do this. That there's a, I think that there's a positive aspect to that because it does get you as far as it's gotten you. But at some point, your next level is going to feel elusive because what got you here is going to be necessary, but it's not sufficient to move you to that next level. Mm -hmm. So, in order to move to the next level, what I've been talking about recently with a whole lot of people is it's usually that that missing link is. What's the trauma response that I'm having to the next level? And once you clear that trauma response, then that next level, just you actualize into it. So you become the person who has the experiences that are on the other side of whatever that is, that's still asking to be healed. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And you know, I want to point out too, to anybody listening that, you know, we're not just talking about six figures. This can be at any different level, mm-hmm. you know, any goals that you mm-hmm. accomplish and you can, you know, again, yeah, you don't have to be at any certain level of success in order to start doing some of these things. No. In fact, when I look back at my own path of entrepreneurship, you know, making the decision to leave the university and to go out on my own. Oh my goodness. My actually, I, I slid my resignation paper across the desk to my boss and said, I'm, you know, I'm done. She was shocked because I had a thriving practice. I had won awards. I was well-known at the university for the work I was doing. And I just knew it was time to go. After I left, I was at my sister's house. I I was having panic attacks. Talk about trauma response. Leaving a healthy income, a steady income, leaving the umbrella of a university. Like who was I, if I was not associated with this university, who was I? Oh my goodness. So much trauma there that I had to clear, not to mention all of the other kind of related traumas that cropped up right around that time as well. Um, Six figures was another, you know, multi six is another, like all of these when we talk about money, because we're talking about business, but to your point, it can be with anything. It could be around relationships. It could be around um, body image, weight loss, that kind of thing as well. So it can, that trauma can show up in a lot of different ways. Does that? Yeah, that's so helpful. I I'm just thinking back on my journey and I'm like, Oh, I totally put all those things in a box. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I put that first, uh, you know, probably year of my business where 
you know, yeah, you're on your own and you're like, well, it's this or it's nothing. Or at least that's what my mindset was. I'm like, well, I'm not going back. So it's got to, this has just got to work out. And I think I just totally, you know, it's like, I haven't opened that box in two years. And I'm like, I don't even know what's in there anymore. But that was, I think, very, very helpful and very tangible for business owners to do and really starting to think about, you know, what trauma do I have around starting? And, you know, has anybody told me things like, oh, that's not going to work out or been doubtful and really actually just sitting with those things and, and allowing them to come to the surface? To your point, it doesn't even have to be a big trauma. I mean, these things, listen, I'm clinically trained, right? So earlier in my career, when I was doing clinical work as a therapist, as a psychologist, I know how to support people through transforming trauma. These traumas that I talk about, the trauma responses aren't even necessarily rising to the level of a clinical diagnosis. But to your point, it can be, if you hear enough people in your ear saying, what are you doing? No, seriously, like, what are you actually doing? And how are you going to make money doing that? That can be enough to cast self-doubt in your system that creates a trauma response. Who am I? What am I doing? I should have listened to. So I'm going to then abdicate my, my power and my leadership to somebody else's opinion. Thank you so you much. Can for, see, yeah. Having this you can conversation. See, <laughs> yeah. You can see, you can see how tangled this gets. And I want to go on to the other, the other styles in just a second, but the thing I will say, and listen, I have a bee in my bonnet about this is that it's become pretty trendy to be, to label yourself as a trauma informed coach. And the trouble that I have with that is that there are actually really good clinicians in the world. There are people like me who have a background in helping people move through trauma. There are people like I've got some colleagues who are kind of in the same position. We've moved out of the therapy world. We're in the transformational coaching world. And yet we literally are trauma informed. And what I would encourage anybody who's listening, who's responding to this is really vet whoever you're going to work with on this, bet that person well, bet that person well. And I would have some recommendations for people if that's something that they're, that they're wanting to take a look at for themselves. So I think that that's an important part of the conversation as well. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'll be able to I'll ask you about that list and then hopefully we can get a link in the show notes. So what about the visionary type? Yes, that's my that's me. Like if I'm I'm the visionary leader. So as a visionary leader, my dad, I learned this from him years and years ago. My dad was my first teacher in metaphysics actually. And he said to me one time, he said, Robin, whoever carries the vision leads the way. And I so resonated with that because I really believe that for the visionary leaders, your sole purpose is that you're a way shower and that you have a clear vision of the future and you have the ability to show other people what's possible. The challenge with that is that, uh, and I'll speak for myself in saying this, is that if you try to onboard people to your vision, some of them aren't going to be able to see it. And so that can actually have some blowback on the visionary, because when you're looking for approval outside of yourself, when you're looking to rally people around a vision and they don't get it or they don't see it, it can be pretty disheartening. It creates the conditions for you to question yourself, to question the vision that the the creator of the universe laid on your heart. So how would you suggest somebody deals with 
you know, people not being on board for their vision. You know, we talked a lot about, yep, maybe that can actually feel like trauma if enough people are doubting or questioning you. How would you, what advice would you give somebody that gets that result of visionary? Well, so first of all, you have to decide to not just believe in yourself, but to believe yourself, believe yourself. I find that if I believe myself, if I'm not in my head questioning, are you sure, Robin? Like I've got, I'm launching this new McKay Academy of Actualization this spring, and I'm so excited about that. I've had this vision for a long time. The, the name of the academy dropped in earlier this year. And, you know, we're just starting the process of gathering people and, and teaching people about what it is. But um I have had to really discipline my mind to not go off into these directions of what if it doesn't work and what happens if, and are you sure, Robin, are you really sure? Are you sure? And I find, so if I question myself, it weakens my connection with the vision. So it's not just believe in yourself, but believe yourself and then commit to it. And then here's the thing. You don't need everybody to believe in your vision. You don't need everybody to see your vision. You need like a core group of two or three or four people who can be your believing eyes, who can say, yes, I see that too. Yes, I believe you. There's strength in numbers, but you can have a few people who you surround yourself with, a really good coach who holds you in your highest potential, who can see what's possible beyond probably even what you can see. This is very important when you're a visionary leader to have somebody like that. Did it take you a while to develop that skill set of believing yourself or was that, Mm -hmm. you know, some people might be like, yeah, I kind of let my brain do that thing all the time. And then I, you know, talk myself out of it. And and here we are doing nothing. So when I was a kid, I figured out pretty quickly. I've been a clear channel since I was a little kid. So I just knew stuff without really knowing why I knew it. I would have a vision of something and then it would come true. I I know I said that like I was seven, like, oh my God, it just came true. But really it was just something that was so inherent to me, to how I'm wired and to who I am. So being able to, in, I remember in eighth grade, I made a list of things that I wanted to do that year. I wanted to be on the starting five of the basketball team and I wanted to make the honor roll. I had all of these things and I lost that list or put it away somewhere And a few years later, when I was in high school, I found the list and I was like, oh my God, I did everything on this list. So that was kind of just, that's inherent to how I'm wired. But having said that, you know, when you're bumping elbows with life, stuff happens and it it causes you to question yourself and other people's projections in um, human design. I'm a generator. I'm a three, five generator. And one of the problems with that for me is that people project stuff onto me all the time. And I don't even, I'm not even aware that they're projecting it onto me, but they do. They just project project things onto me, whether it's about my profession or about what I look like or whatever. And so until I understood that and was able to process through what that meant for me, what I was doing is sometimes channeling other people's energies and other people's projections of me and what I should be doing in my life. That's why I think that for people like me who are the visionary leaders. And Chelsea, I think you have some of that in you as well. Um, I think it's really important to get crystal clear and get your field clear so that you know what your vision is and you're not trying to live out somebody else's vision for you. 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like I that's that's almost like the the evolution, if you will. Not that, you know, each of these types, you know, is better mm-hmm. or worse than the other from what it sounds like. But it, yeah, I I, I could see myself getting there. <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah. uh, you know, work through this this valley that I'm in right now. But I want to talk a little bit more about the collaborative type as well. Mm -hmm. That one, I think a lot of people will resonate with. Do you find that, you know, maybe you don't know percentages or maybe you do, but I I feel like a lot of my clients would probably fall into that collaborative. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're a collaborative leader, as I said at the beginning of our time together, it's really hard to be a, a strong leader and be a nice person at the same time. And collaborative leaders are really genuinely nice humans. Like really. And I'm, I'm not one of them. Um, remember I said, my clients call me the velvet hammer. And so I don't, (laughs) I'm more disagreeable than most of the collaborative leaders that I work with, but really their soul's purpose is that they're a high spirited encourager. And so there's nothing wrong with being a high spirited encourager, but you may run into feeling overwhelmed by taking on other people's problems, by wanting to fix other people's problems, by overstepping your bounds, by absorbing other people's energy rather than just observing it, by not understanding that just because I feel something doesn't actually mean that it's mine. And if it's not mine, I can't process it anyway. So there can be some people pleasing that happens with the the collaborative leader. And people-pleasing, this may be hard to hear, but it can be, people-pleasing can be manipulative. If I please all these people, then I will be safe. If I please all these people, then I will be noticed, acknowledged. And I think that for the collaborative leaders, here's the thing is that a lot of times they have to be able to step out of that in order to actually achieve what they want to achieve because no one... And you tell me too what your take is on this. My experience is that nobody invites you up onto the, the stage. Like you, you have to stand up, walk up the stairs, and get on the stage and take the microphone. Nobody's gonna look in the crowd and say, Oh, hey, Robin, you're so like you're so nice and you're so helpful. Come up here on the stage. I just I don't see that happening so much, especially as we're making this transition into uh, self-leadership especially as we're making this transition into making sure that we are taking care of ourselves and our, and our people in a very healthy way. So nobody's coming to rescue you. In other words, that's, I guess what I want to say there. So we have to like with the collaborative leaders, there's this transition to, you can still be kind. You can still care about other people, but you got to put your own oxygen mask on first. I'm so glad you said that. Yes. I am so excited to announce one of the show's newest partnerships. This is a product or a line of products that I've been using for almost eight months now. And I am, I'm a total convert. I actually threw away all of my other skincare that I was using because this line is vastly superior. So when I first heard of Clear Stem, I was a little skeptical because, you know, it's like, face products and skincare, like it's so individual, whatever works for one person typically doesn't work for another person. So I was like, "Mm, eh, I don't know. I heard about it about a year ago and it took me a little bit to actually try the products. 
At the time, I had some skincare that I was like, well, I guess it works okay. Like it's it's not the best, but my, my skin looks all right. It looks decent. So finally taking the leap to try out Clear Stem and yeah, I used it one time and I was like, okay, this is the thing. And I wanted to make sure that I gave it a very long trial run before bringing it and starting to recommend it to other people. It's super important to me to really stay in integrity. And this is just a line of products that I truly believe in. And I am literally like bursting at the seams to tell you about this. So Clear Stem, their whole gig is anti-acne and anti-aging in one. It's really difficult to find skincare lines that actually do both. Usually they focus on either one or the other. Another big thing with Clear Stem is they do not use any pore-clogging ingredients. So, most natural skincare lines use ingredients like coconut oil, they're using things like jojoba oil. You know, while those might be natural ingredients, they're actually pore-clogging and they can cause breakouts and acne. That's one of the things that I love the most about Clear Stem's website is you can actually go on and they have an entire list of pore-clogging ingredients which I was like, holy shit, okay, no wonder. <laughs> I've been using like all of these things. So all of their products are clear, no pore clogging ingredients, and you get those anti-aging benefits as well. So I wanna talk about one product specifically because I am obsessed. I've bought this product at least four times and I'm actually starting to buy it like in twos and threes when I go to buy it because I literally never wanna run out. I use this twice a day, I'm, I'm obsessed. It's okay. I, I can say it. I can admit I have I have an addiction to this problem. So it's their Clarity Serum. So this serum is perfect for use. You wash your face, then you apply a toner, then the serum. You want to do it in that order so that the serum actually sinks in all the way and you actually get the most use out of it. And with this serum, you can actually use it once or twice. If you're going to be using it twice, you put the first layer on, wait 10 to 15 minutes, and then put the second layer on. And the reason that I really love this product is it has turmeric, vitamin C, and mandelic acid. So what that does for you is it actually is smoothing, detoxifying, and brightening. This stuff smells so good. It smells so good. It feels so luxurious. Every time I put it on, I just close my eyes and I kind of just like sigh and sink into it. And it works so well. My skin looks absolutely amazing. I think my skin looks the best that it has in, I mean, honestly, forever. Um, I really beat my skin up a lot when I was younger. I spent way too much time in the sun, you know, trying to, trying to get that tan. I was like, oh, I don't care if my skin <laughs> looks like a piece of leather when I'm older. And I was swimming twice a day most of the time. So I really feel like I'm in a good place now. So I cannot recommend their Clarity Serum enough. Clear Stem has absolutely changed the game for me. I use all of their products. I am such a huge fan of them. And if you are wanting to try out anything from them, you can get 10% off of your order using the code Chelsea at checkout. All you have to do is go to clearstemskincare.com. Pick out your products. Again, my number one picket. Like if you're only going to get one thing, get the Clarity Serum. Use code Chelsea at checkout for 10% off. And... You know, I, I, you can blame me if you get addicted and obsessed with it. I, I'm a great scapegoat. You can blame me if I get you hooked on this. I absolutely love this product so much. And I'm so excited to be bringing Clear Stem into partnership and just really being able to talk about more of their products. I absolutely love their vitamin scrub as well. So I'm just really excited about this. And I use this Clarity Serum twice a day, every single day. 
be sure to tag me on Instagram if you get any of the products. I would absolutely love to see what you're trying out. Be sure to tag ClearStem as well. I am so excited about this and I hope you absolutely love these products as much as I do. Can you speak a little bit more to, you know, maybe with, with your clients or your own experience working with those who fall under this category, you know, maybe examples of boundaries that they could set problems that you see them running into repeatedly, you know, maybe it is people pleasing, but kind of how to start moving out of that and, you know, essentially rescuing themselves. Right. Rescue yourself. That's such a good way of saying it. Well, here's, I'm sure you've heard this. This is not, there's nothing new under the sun and this certainly isn't new, but I'm going to do it as a newsflash. No is a complete sentence. You can add, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but no, or I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm not available for that. But being able to stand in the boundary of no, that's a third chakra personal power claim for yourself. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that is a hard one. And that, if you're having a hard time with that, it's probably a good idea to look at what are the influences for that? What are the gen- genetic, generational, familial influences that create the conditions? for you to feel uncomfortable saying no, or for taking a stand for yourself. Because if you don't, then you end up feeling burnt out, disappointed, resentful. And then that gets into a whole dynamic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think it's helpful for people, you know, yeah, maybe we've, we've heard say no before, but specifically under this context, you know, maybe it's one of those, one of those three here 50 times. And then the 51st time you're like, I get it. <laughs> now I'm going to actually take action on it. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll work on that. Well, and you know, here's the thing though, is that for a really long time growing up, you can look at how many times was I rewarded for being helpful? How many times was I rewarded and patted on the head for, Oh, you're such a good girl. And when, what we're really looking for is not to be a good girl, but to make a contribution that matters. Yes. Oh, that's so powerful. So let's move on to the last leadership type the quiet leader. The soul's purpose of the quiet leader is to be a difference maker. And what that means is that, you know, they, they tend to be more modest, more self-effacing. They don't like to bring a lot of attention to themselves. They listen deeply. They usually enjoy working in small groups or by themselves. And here's the thing about the quiet leaders. I I love to say this in a room of a hundred people, the quiet leader is the one who's most likely to be under a table reading a book rather than being out in the center of the room, chatting it up with everybody and saying the more the merrier. And yet the quiet leader is the one who works diligently for the benefit of the group. They tend to be pretty self-disciplined, have some energy to spare, and they channel their efforts toward getting the job done the best of their ability. So one of the challenges is that quiet leaders tend to, not always, but tend to accept difficult or thankless tasks. And then they just keep going until those tasks are done. That sounds like burnout. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's easy to get burned out as a quiet leader, for sure. So here are some challenges for the quiet leaders. One is other people taking credit for your ideas. That is one of the most painful, painful experiences. And I just watched... There was a movie that was on Netflix called Can You Keep a Secret? And it's a it's based on a book by Sophie Kinsella. I love those rom-com 
I love that that genre of books. I just like devour those at night when I go to bed. But anyway, there's a scene in that movie. It's about a 30 something marketing expert who, without giving it away, is on a plane in first class by happenstance and sits next to this very handsome man who she discloses all of her secrets to because she thinks she's going to die on this plane. And they land and come to find out he's the founder of the company that she works for. So that's the whole, can you keep a secret? But there is a scene in this movie that is so powerful about modeling what a leader should do when she, he or she notices that somebody has stolen somebody else's idea. It's so powerful. And it's just a super funny movie anyway. So um, I think that that stealing, having your ideas stolen enough, enough times becomes pretty, pretty depressing in some cases, pretty frustrating. And then the other piece of that, along with the stealing, getting your ideas taken from you is waiting to be recognized and getting overlooked for promotions and opportunities. And as a business owner, if you're a quiet leader, holy smokes, it can be, it's a noisy marketplace out there. And how do you, as a quiet leader, without dishonoring that part of you that really genuinely is introverted and prefers that kind of hermiting space, how do you make a difference? How do you make a contribution? How do you create the success that you desire? And there are certainly ways to do that. I love that. I can see how all of these, you know, we we need each of these types, mm-hmm. definitely, mm-hmm. in order to to really work together in the world. And one thing that I want to talk about that I know that you do a lot of work around is burnout. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> let's first talk about uh, what that looks like. And maybe we'll go into some prevention and then what to do if it's already too late. I love it. I remember when burnout came up. I mean, I burned out when I was like 27, I think, for the first time. I was working in biotech and driving 45 minutes to work in heavy traffic. And my idea of self-care at that time was to stop at the Krispy Kreme donut store and get two Krispy Kreme donuts and a Diet Coke. Like that was my ritual. And I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute because bless my heart. Let's just yeah. send all the love back yep. to my 27 year old self. Oh, yep. sweetheart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so burnout at that time in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, but at that time in my life, I was still very much in people pleasing and trying to do the right thing and being afraid I was going to get into trouble. And then I was working in an ecosystem that was high stress, high stakes, and quite frankly, physically dangerous. I was working at a biosafety level three laboratory, which had, we had access to all kinds of pretty toxic microorganisms. And uh, I had to wear like this whole pandemic thing, Chelsea, I uh, was, I felt like I was born for this time. I was washing my hands and wearing PPE way back in the day, way back in the day. I was like, well, this just makes good sense. Like, why haven't we been doing this until it stopped making good sense? And then it became Okay, this is crazy making. To my point, though, when you're in that phase of your career and you're still trying to be the good student and still trying to operate under the the rules that got you to that place of, you know, we'll say early success, um, you start realizing that there are some diminishing returns happening. And I became very stressed out 
I became short-tempered. I had anxiety and depression as part of the burnout symptoms. Um, I remember this is such an embarrassing day. I was working with a woman who was doing a quality control check on one of my reports and she was taking, she was, and bless my heart. She, this person really was like one of the slowest people on the planet. I had like jackrabbit energy at the time and she had like tortoise energy. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and I lost, I lost my shit with her in whatever way a 27 year old white girl from Kansas can lose her shit. Like that, that's what happened with me. And I, you know, I got called into my boss's office and I had to apologize. And that was the extent of the meltdown and, and the, you know, the reprimand for that, but it was so much a symptom of what was going on for me. So that level of stress over time creates physical burnout. We call it adrenal fatigue. Um, there's also kind of that depersonalization, like getting really frustrated with other people, like not even being able to see them as other people. It's also called compassion fatigue. Like I can't, I had compassion fatigue when I worked at the university, I was part of my work was to be a therapist. And so I had all the sorority girls coming in to my practice to talk about my, you know, my boyfriend broke up with me and cheated on me. And I was like, at one point I was like, oh my God, like I cannot hear one more sorority girl tell me that her boyfriend broke up with her because he cheated on her. Like I can't do it. And that was the that was a symptom of burnout for me. I'm sharing some of my own experiences just because I think it's important to have some kind of personalized context around this. So the depersonalization. And then the other thing that we see with burnout is that you hit a ceiling in your accomplishments. So maybe you're getting promoted, or if you're a business owner, you're making bank, you're, you know, you're hitting all of your financial goals. And then at some point, everything just dries up. And nothing you do turns to gold anymore. And you're like, what just happened? And you keep pushing harder because that old model of grit, hard work, tenacity, which got you hustle, grind, which got you to this level, isn't working anymore. So I'll stop there with kind of the description of burnout. What occurs to you? Oh, I'm like, wow, did you, were you talking to me? Um <laughs> <laughs> That, that thing yeah. that you said about your, your ideas, they just don't turn, turn to gold anymore. I'm like, yep. All right. Well, you've, you've uh, nailed me to the wall. I'm definitely listening. <laughs> yeah. With the velvet hammer. See what, see what yep. we did just right there. <laughs> yep. No, it, I mean, that's, I'm so glad that you gave those examples too, because I think, you know, when we hear of burnout, it's people just being like, oh, well, I just don't have the energy. I just don't want to. When in reality, it's so much deeper than that. And the symptoms of burnout, I think can be things that people might just totally brush under the rug, like having that short fuse, you know, maybe it's with your loved ones or your clients or just, you, yeah, we're really not meant to be in that state of frustration or not caring essentially all day. We really aren't. And yet we've been in, there's this thing that's called surge capacity that all humans have basically a surge capacitor in our built into our systems that our systems are able to withstand a certain amount of stress for a certain amount of time. But then we also need rest. We also need to be able to unplug from whatever that stress is to recover, to reset, to restore. But I've been looking back at my memories from a couple of years ago in social media, and I'm seeing pictures from March of 2020 when I was at baseball games here in Arizona for spring training right before 
everything shut down here. And I'm thinking, gosh, we've been in some, for some people, it's been longer than that. But for where I am in the world, we've been in this really big question mark, this transition for two years with ongoing stressors, ongoing uncertainty. What's going to happen next? There's always another thing that's coming at us. So our systems are constantly being bombarded by all of the things in the ecosystem. As we're recording this, this is, I think that the uh, invasion of the Ukraine has been going on for what, about a week, less than a week. So that's the thing that's front of mind right now for, for, for us. So we have all of these things happening and, and our surge capacity is maxed out. So then what do we do? How do we manage that? Our nervous systems are on overload. One of the symptoms, symptoms of an overloaded nervous system is that being short-tempered, being frustrated, but we also get into the depression and despair as well, some of us. So this is a time, I believe, for those of us who have spiritual practices, who have uh, an understanding of the energetics of the world, to really lean into those practices, the supplements, the things that we know to do to fortify our systems so that we are resilient, not just so that we can survive, but so that we can start creating something new. Because you've heard the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Mm -hmm. When you're in chronic uncertainty, we go back to the things that we're certain of, and we do those things over and over and over again. That's really helpful. So that sounds like one of the things that we can do kind of more in, you know, and I'm sure it's, it's burnout is probably this big spectrum, but maybe that is one of the things that we can do when we start to feel some of these things coming on is going back to those things that we are certain of. Maybe people need to make a list of those things. What are your other suggestions for when you start to kind of get in your mind, you're like, oh shit, maybe the burnout's coming. What do you tell people? So a couple of things I'm looking at, I always look at alignment first and I look, you know, and I know you do some, some energy work as well. So I think we speak the same language on this, but I'm always looking at the energetics of what's going on in their system. And I have to look at alignment for them. Where are they out of alignment with their sole purpose? Where are they out of alignment with what they're meant to be doing with their vision and the, for what they're meant to be contributing in the world. So we have to look at that level. That's kind of a meta level on a physical level. What we have to look at is how do we soothe the nervous system? So everybody is different and you have to ask your own provider, your own advisor about what's best for you and also tune in for yourself as well. But I find for me, for some of the people that I work with soothing my nervous system, I love to use magnesium. I think that's one of God's gift to the earth is magnesium. That just has this really calming effect on my nervous system because my nerves can get jangled. Even we have an 11 month old golden doodle. And this is so not business related, but it is because the personal I think is professional. He was sick in the night. So I was out with him, taking him outside, managing him most of the night off and on. And he's fine today, but, um, so I'm tired and I can feel my nerves are jangled. So I've had to do some additional things to soothe my nervous system. Magnesium is one, making sure my electrolytes are 
on point is another meditation is another getting out in the sunshine exercise, all of these things that we know to do, but sometimes it can feel so effortful to do because I'm so tired. So maybe it is to take a nap during the day. These are very simple things, aren't they? And yet they're so important to give yourself the rest. And the last thing I would say, this just came through is to release yourself from the hustle and grind. The hustle and grind is so 2019. I love that. <laughs> Let's leave it back there. <laughs> Just leave it. Yeah, we're well, good. But that's something that we're familiar with. I'm familiar with hustle and grind. Let's go hustle and grind some more. I know that energy. I know the the adrenaline infused energy. So let's just go there. But that's what burned me out in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I have to find another energy flow to to ride on in order to do the work that I'm meant to do. Now, in order to cure myself of burnout if I'm burned out, but then in order to also to be able to contribute to the world, to create the world that I want to see, to be a part of the solutions for what's next. Yeah. Or you're not going to be able to make an impact at all Mm -hmm. if you're, yeah. (laughs) I've been asking, I'm a big sci-fi fan. So I love the matrix and I love like all the, the, uh, outlander is coming out with their new series. I love outlander. Um, but anyway, I've been talking a lot about the matrix and I'll ask my clients and there, a lot of them are sci-fi fans. So they get this, I'll say who benefits from your burnout. You are the machine. They're like, Oh, the machine. Okay. Got it. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) Who, who, Who benefits. And when you look and when you get really clear about who's benefiting from me feeling like shit, well, it's not my clients. Mm-mm. It's not the world that I see in my mind's eye. And that's usually, at least for me and the people that I work with, I think that this will land for you too. I think that that's a really good question to ask. And often that's enough to activate like, oh, I better get back to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That rebel nature kicks in and I'm like, oh, certainly mm-hmm. not. <laughs> yeah. I will not be benefiting. Oh, no, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> Opting out. Oh, no. That's a hard no. So those are the things that I think are real important to just consider if you are getting the sense of burnout. The last thing I would say is this, that it is, it's so important to know that you're not meant to walk this journey on your own. The old, also leave it in 2019 is do it all, all by myself. Like this is the time where you get shoulder to shoulder with people who remember that saying your vibe attracts your tribe. Like that's who you want to be hanging out with. Not as life rafts, but as lighthouses who are seeing each other as believing eyes, who are, who have good spiritual practices, good energetic practices, good physical practices, who are doing the right thing for themselves and making a difference in the world. That's who you want to surround yourself with. Yeah. It's like that saying of, you know, if you want to go fast, by all means, do it, go by yourself. But if you go by yourself, Yep. If you want to actually have this thing be sustainable and have longevity, you've got to find your people. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So what about the people who are, we are, we're in, we know we have all the flags. We've, we've passed all the warning signs. We are in full burnout mode. What then? Well, first of all, admit it, raise your hand and say, I'm burned out. This is one of the hardest things to do because we've been I'm going to use this word again, programmed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just keep going. And if you admit any kind of weakness, that's a failure. 
in the old way of doing things. We'll call it the old timeline. In this new timeline, I'm really grateful that this is the last couple of years, mental health has become a major focus for a lot of the organizations that I work with and for a lot of the entrepreneurs and business owners that I work with as well. And so admit it, but admit it to somebody safe who's going to believe you. Like if you know, if you're going to talk to your mom about it and you know your mom is going to say, oh, honey, just suck it up, buttercup. Like, does a mom say that? I don't know, but maybe. Would my mom say that? Maybe a version of that. Yeah. There are definitely you know, moms so, out there that Yeah. <laughs> you know, so say, say it to somebody who believes you and then lean into some support. Let's, let's let go of this idea that you have to cure it on your own. Because listen, if you could have cured it on your own, you would have. Mm-hmm. And if you have a broken arm, you go to the emergency department and you have an expert reset your arm and cast it for you. You don't try to reset your arm by yourself. You don't Google how to reset your arm. No, no. I mean, you can, but do that like when you're waiting in the emergency department for the expert to come in and do so. So so I think that that, I think we do a lot of that trying to self-heal, especially especially spiritually intelligent people. I think that we, we think, well, we have access to all this energy and we have access to divine source. And yes, we do, but divine source does not want us to do this on our own. It's an opportunity to lean into those people, those healers who have insight and wisdom and transformative abilities that can support you and pretty quickly transform. You don't have to lay in the hospital bed for months recovering from burnout. It doesn't have to be a long process, but it's made longer the longer you keep it to yourself. It's made longer the longer you try to do it on your own. Such a good reminder. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's re- remembering that we we truly are all one. We are all different, you know, parts of the puzzle, however you want to think of it. And if if it were truly meant to just be us doing it alone, there would not be you know, billions of people on this planet. Yeah, we all have something unique to offer. We all have our unique gifts, talents, and abilities. We have something that everybody can count on us for. Like you can count on me to tell the truth. You can count on me to see the problem and to be able to really transform it in, in a pretty quick period of time energetically. That psychic surgery stuff is like, I can laser in on that and clear it. So that's what you can count on me for. But I also need stuff from people in my community. I need my colleagues who believe me and who will celebrate me when I have a really great month in business. Nothing sucks worse than if you announce something in a group you're in about having a really great month in business and they, you can feel the jealousy coming off in waves. Mm -hmm. Nothing is worse than that. So we need supportive, I need supportive people around me. I know that I can't do the things that I want to do on my own. I know that I'm meant to have more people supporting these projects and these visions that I have, but we all have that and it's unique. And I think that the oneness isn't that we all become the same. I did a LinkedIn live on why it's a bad idea to take, to dress like Zuck, like wear the same thing every single day. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Cause we're not clones. And there are those of us who value and, and live on beauty. We require that. So we have to understand that as we become, as we heal our, the fractures inside of us, as we become one to ourselves, we're contributing to the expansion of 
the all. I love the way that you put that. So one more thing that I want to touch on, this is actually the thing that drew me into you and your work the most was the psychology of women making money. I I fucking love talking about money. (laughs) (laughs) I love, you know, celebrating my success, my client's success. I'm such a big advocate of women making more money. So can you speak to this topic a little bit more? I am so curious to hear your thoughts. This is so cool. I have a money quiz, actually. The the question is, um, does how you feel block your money? Because your emotions, your mood can block the money flow along with trauma and all the things we've talked about, burnout. So the psychology of women making money. Well, way back in the day, how long ago? This is probably, I think 2010 or 2011, the World Bank came out with some research. And I'm sure it hasn't changed tremendously since then. But basically, women make up something like 40 to 45% of the workforce, but only possess 1% of the wealth on the planet. Whoa. Oh, my God. (laughs) And that was enough for me in my early days of entrepreneurship, looking at, we have to change this. And I wanted to change it for myself as well. My family, I grew up middle class. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a realtor in a small town in, in South Dakota. I didn't have a lot of advantages. For one thing, because of the distance that I, I lived in a rural community and didn't have access to a lot of the, the advantages that kids who lived closer to cities had, for example. But um, I just always had this in me. I remember when I was a little kid, I looked at my mom and dad were in Amway and we'd get these magazines. I laugh because MLMs are still something that we have experiences with in this world. And sometimes we get triggered around that. But I remember I was always inspired by the magazine seeing the people who had succeeded. And there was this one profile of some people who had a home gym in this beautiful house that they lived in. And I was probably eight at the time. I'm like, God, I want a home gym. Mm-hmm. And my, my mom was like, Robin, let's get real. Let's just be realistic. But I want a home gym. Well, we just moved into our new house a couple months ago and we have a home gym. And I just still, the eight-year-old in me is like, yes, I knew it. I knew it. So there is this inspiration in us as women, I think, to be empowered through our financial, through access to finances Mm -hmm. and through having our own finances. Talk about, to circle back to the beginning of the conversation, the victim, persecutor, rescuer triad, this is something that a lot of women find ourselves in at some point. Men do too, but I think I can speak more generally to women that we do find ourselves in being the under earners. And you can be a, you can be a chronic under earner. And it often has to do with your relationship with money. So I love to do this. You may have done this in the past, uh, the question of if money were a person, what kind of person would that, would, would that person be? Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of stories that come forward and you can look at what stories did I learn about money when I was a kid? One of the common ones is money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, yes. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. What do you think I am? The bank? Yep. (laughs) Right? But for me, when I was a kid, I never had problems making money. I waited tables. I worked as a car hop at a, like a tasty freeze kind of place in my hometown. I always had tips. I always had money. It always came to me. And I just always would just spend it and let it go. And I would know that would come back. So I wasn't good. I was good at receiving it. I was good at letting it go. I was not good at holding it. 
And the mental game I played with myself, that's the psychology of it was, well, I can just make more. Mm -hmm. I'll just make more. And I did until I couldn't. When I burned out early in my entrepreneurship journey, it just, everything dried up and I didn't have, I was single at the time. I didn't have a backup plan. So I really had to do a lot of restoration work around my energy systems, around the trauma that I had experienced, around my fear of not having money in order to be able to hold it, have it come through and to hold it and not play that sick game with myself to say, well, I'll just make more. To treat money with respect, to treat money with dignity, to be a good steward of money. These are the lessons that we have to learn. It's not just about, I have found, maybe you have too, you know, those big paydays, those downloads where you have 40, 50K coming in in a very short period of time, 100K coming in a very short period of time. And then it goes out just as quickly. Mm-hmm. That can actually be a trauma response. You treat it like a hot potato because what will they say about me if I hold this money? So the actualization of you as a mature, psychologically responsible entrepreneur, business owner is to be able to receive money, to be able to hold it, and then to be able to allow money to start working for you, whether it's through investments, allowing it to, and this is something that I'm working on with investments and compounding and things like that. So wherever you are on the journey with your money, you learn so much about yourself if you let it. One of the big things that I, that really helped me looking money in the eye. There was a time earlier in my business where I was like, money was coming in, it's going out. I have no idea how much I'm spending every month. I had to pay my coaches. I had to pay all the people. And I, you know, look at the end of the month and go, should I have to start over? Have you had, do you know, you can oh, relate I know to that. exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I almost <laughs> didn't want it to be the end of the month because then I actually had to, I had to cut myself off from tracking my income altogether because it was so triggering for me because I just, yeah. seeing it go back to zero, it was like, it broke yeah. me. Oh, it just, it's so hard. So I, one day I had a come to Jesus meeting with my accountant. She's like, Robin. No, seriously, Robin. And I, the judgment I had about myself, I have a, I have a PhD. Come on. Like what's wrong with me? Well, you know, I have a PhD in psychology, not in holding money. Apparently I had trauma around that. And so (laughs) you still have to do your work. The, the thing that helped me so much was looking money in the eye. And I still, to this day, keep spreadsheets of every dime that goes in and every dime that comes out. So I know, and I remember the first time I saw on a, I love payment plans. And I remember the first time I saw a payment plan bleeding into the next year, I was like, oh my God, I have money coming in in the next year. That's amazing. I remember when I didn't have money coming in in the next week. So we grow so much as people when you really allow yourself, I'm going to say allow, I want to say insist that you look money in the eye because that's a psychologically mature thing to do. It's very triggering though. And if you're wired for anxiety and then you get money involved with it, oh, forget it. Like bury your head in the sand. 
there's so much, and I'm glad that you like to talk about this and like to work with people on this because there is so much work to do around our relationship with finance, with money. And one of the biggest things is not to over rely on other people for it, but instead to reconnect yourself with your own source. One of my teachers, you've probably heard this too, says money comes from source through people. Mm-hmm. So nobody wants to be looked at like, they're, you know, you've got dollar signs in your eyes, like Scrooge McDuck. Right. But when you remember who it comes from or where it comes from, that sort of eases as well. Mm-hmm. And really when you learn how to hold, that's a whole psychology, isn't, isn't it? To not treat it like it's contaminated and you have to get rid of it as soon as possible, but that you can actually hold it. And it's a contribution to your future self. Your future self will thank you holding this. Mm-hmm. And you can make bigger impact because of it too. And yeah. you can take time off in your business before hitting yeah. that big burnout stage. Yes. I was talking to my sister the other day. My sister is the one who, like I was having a panic attack at her house after I left the university. And she was like, did they ask you to leave? Like, why are you having a panic attack? It didn't make any sense. Yeah. Didn't you choose this? <laughs> she's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, she's my little sister and she's like the wise one, but she's, I was talking to her recently because I've hit a place in my business where things are so good and I feel so blessed and I feel so grateful. And I'm like, I know that I've got some things that are next. And yet I'm kind of in that, like, I don't want to go back to the old adrenaline infused, you know, hustle, grit and grind thing, but what's the next energy. And she said to me today, cause I was talking to her about it yesterday. I was super frustrated. She's like, Robin, she said to me today, she said, Robin, what if you can just enjoy what you've created? As I sat in my beautiful office, looking out in my beautiful courtyard in this beautiful home that we've been able to afford because of the work that my husband and I have done on our businesses, in our lives. And I was like, I took, I just, my whole body relaxed and I was like, oh, you're right. Okay. And the rest will come. The next will come. Yes. I think, I think I, I definitely needed to hear that. And I know a lot of people listening probably do as well as, yeah, you can hustle and grind yourself, but if you never stop to enjoy it, like, honestly, what is the point? Savor, savor the win from moment to moment. And then the next thing comes forward. So I'm working on, I've got a presentation that I'm doing with uh, one of my corporate clients tomorrow uh, on breaking the busyness cycle, actually, which is another part of that hustle and grind thing. But um, I was sitting there this morning doing that work. And then I had this podcast scheduled for this afternoon. And I was just kind of leaning into just being and appreciating the sunshine and the blue skies and the beautiful views I have. And that was enough to soothe my, my spirit. And then I know the next thing will show up. It always shows up. The next right thing always shows up. And then I respond to that. Yeah. Trust and surrender. Ooh, I love it. I love it yeah. so much. So I have, I have one final question for you because <laughs> I love I think, it. I think you're the, the perfect person to ask this to, and it's about what you said. So it's kind of this, this cool place that you get to be in where you do have these, you know, payment plan set up and you know the money's coming in, how did you navigate kind of, you know, your personality knowing, 
okay, well, I guess, you know, I'm going to spend it because I know more is coming in. How did you handle that and still insisting that you hold the money? Well, one of the things that really helped was my husband is a financial advisor and I watch him deal with other people's money. He manages millions and millions of dollars of people's money every day. And I've watched him in this volatile market he's been working in and how calm, cool, and collected. It's still stressful, but he's calm, cool, and collected when he works with that. And so he's been a great teacher for me just in terms of being, this word is coming through and I would never use this, but it's so appropriate, stalwart in like creating a wall, almost like, no, this is, I'm going to advocate for this money. So all, for me, it had to be always making sure I have a certain amount in my savings account, no matter what, no matter what, that's a boundary. And I think that that's something that we all have to practice more of is creating boundaries for ourselves and having some discipline over the, the things that we buy. There was a time earlier in my life where I was like, Louis Vuitton this and you know, Manolo Blahnik that, and remember that time, like people are posing. I have, I was, I came of age in entrepreneurship in the time. I have pictures of me in front of the Eiffel tower and I love those pictures, but that was a totally different era in entrepreneurship and coaching. And that was, but that was the energy that I was into, which was spend, 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 and it'll come back and you'll be magnetic. And I got, I got kind of caught in that. So to extract myself from that old lifestyle kind of coaching energy that was so prominent back in 2013, 2014, in that kind of time, I think that that was a really important piece for me as well. It's not that I don't love nice things. It just is, I have a different relationship with how I'm deciding where to lay down the money, where I'm going to send the money out and how it's going to come back to me. So that's a practical thing. The energetics of it, um, getting actively aligned with a future version of myself who is a multi-seven-figure business earner, getting actively aligned with the version of myself who is an eight-figure business owner. That's the energetic, spiritual piece of the puzzle for me that might be helpful for you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you so much for answering that. I was like, (laughs) Wait, I've got to, I've got to ask. Cause I'm, I'm just curious, you know, cause I think, you know, most women we're so smart and we can, we can, you know, talk ourselves into or out of just about anything. So if yeah. we know that that money's coming back in, we're like, well, it's okay. I'll just spend it. But it's, you know, it's really that root issue of like, I just don't feel safe enough to hold it. Yeah. Or it's not safe enough to hold it. If that's the case, and it could be to take a look at who took your money when you were a little kid. One of, I have an early story from when I was a little kid. I had a banker's bag, a really sparkly blue banker's bag with a zipper on it where like my, my granddad was a business owner. So uh, he'd put the cash in it and then take it to the bank at the end of the day. But I, he gave me one of these bags and I had pennies and dimes and quarters in it. I loved change when I was a little girl. And there was somebody who would take that bag for me and hide it. And he would treat it as a game, but to me, it wasn't a game. It was confusing. It was disempowering. And I was little. I was maybe three. So if you can imagine the impact on a three-year-old and how that can 
arrest development around your relationship with money. You're kidding yourself if you think it doesn't. And it certainly did for me. So I had to heal that. I had to go back. Part of the work is that I do is around soul retrievals. And I had to go back and do that deep work in order to be able to transform that early memory of having my money taken from me. Oh, I'm just kidding. And then be gaslighted for it. Oh, he was just kidding, honey. Fuck off. He was not, excuse my language, but he wasn't. Yeah. It's serious. I mean, it's serious at that age and I'm, I've never thought about it that way before. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because now I'm remembering my childhood. I'm like, oh my God, my parents, you know, every, all the money I got for birthdays, anything, it went straight into the bank. And then yeah. that money was used for things I didn't want. <laughs> right. So I had no you control had no, over any of it. You had no control over it. And so why would you hold something that you had no, somebody's going to take it anyway. So exactly. why would you hold it? Mm-hmm. Or if, if you know, somebody's going to take it, you may as well spend it so that they yep. can't. Yes. So you can see where that arrested development can come in for you. For you. And so then to do that inner work and shift that can happen pretty quickly to clear that trauma so that then you have a better relationship with just holding it and be real comfortable with holding greater and greater sums. And there's always a next level. Yeah. When I look at my accounts, I'm like, oh, but I want it to be, I want another zero on there. And I feel part of me going, oof, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oof. Kind of comfortable here. What will people think of me if there's another zero in that account? So there you have it. We've covered a lot. Yeah, we really, I could talk to you for hours. This was, this was so, I see why we were meant to be connected. (laughs) Me too. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and for taking the time to speak with me. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they find you? Well, you can always find me on my website, drrobinmckay.com. My first name is spelled with a Y. And when you go there, that leadership quiz just pops up totally not attached if you take it or not. I just love to give that information because I think it's so important. So that's, that's a place. And then you can find me on all the socials. I hang out. I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. So I hang out on Facebook because I'm a Gen Xer and (laughs) you can find me on Instagram and on LinkedIn as well. Uh, But yeah, that's, I'm around and I'm always happy to have conversations with women about leadership, about the psychology of making money about burnout. These are all so central to how we are going to overcome this, whatever we're in right now, this big question mark that we're in right now and build the bridge to the future that we actually have in our mind's eye that is already being created. And I think that you and I, and people like us who are resonating with are actually the future of leadership. So the more, the better we feel and the more able we are to do our work in the world, the more, the more quickly the new world is going to materialize. Yes, I so agree. I will be sure to link to everything in the show notes as well. And again, thank you so much for coming on this show. I'm I'm so excited for people to hear this. This is going to be a really big game changer for a lot of people. Excited for you to share this. Thanks for having me. A huge thank you to Dr. Robin for coming on the show. I hope you loved that interview as much as I did. If you couldn't tell, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. This woman got me. She gets it. And I am so, so happy that we were able to record this conversation and that you were able to listen in. As a reminder, I will link everything in the show notes where you can connect further with Dr. Robin McKay and learn more about her. And if you have not yet left a rating and review for the show, as a reminder, 
there's still a giveaway going on. So you've got a chance to win big time. So just go leave your review. You're automatically entered. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will talk to you next show.